Romans chapter 1. Not a, not a deep message tonight, pretty simple, um, but something that as Christians I think is always good to look back on, uh, but also I know we've got several people that have been saved here recently, uh, and it's good to look at some of these basic things every once in a while, especially uh, as you get older in the faith and just look at what the Lord has done and what He's doing in your life and the purpose of what we're doing here. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 1, uh, the Bible says, Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Brother Todd, can you open us in prayer, please? Thank you. All right, now, this passage here, it's an introduction to the book. If you notice, when Paul writes to just about anybody, he always has an introduction to his his book. And this passage that we just read here is Paul's introduction to the church at Corinth. Now, I think the Bible is is amazing. When I I look at this King James Bible here, uh, I believe that it is the perfect, the infallible, preserved, inspired words of God. Not just the Word of God, the inspired words of God. That's right. Now, that being said, I don't just believe that every word of God is perfect. I believe that the way that the Bible is laid out is perfect. I believe that the chapter and verse markings are perfect. You can find doctrine hidden in the way that chapter and verse markings are set up. I'll give you an example. Uh, You guys know how to count, right? That was patronizing. I'm sorry. That was rude. All right, let's, let's count them. All right, ready? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. How many was that? Six. six. All right, so in the sixth book of the Bible, Joshua chapter 6 and verse number 5, the Bible talks about a trumpet and a shout, and then it says all the people go straight up before them. So the sixth, birth, sixth book of the Bible, the sixth chapter in the fifth verse, right before the sixth verse shows up, right? Six, six, six. Yeah. Right before that shows up, you have a picture of the rapture. Now, I'm not going to sit here and teach the rapture from that, but it's a great picture. If you look at the rapture of the Lord Jesus Christ, at him calling his saints out, it says in First Thessalonians, it says at the last trump, right? There's a sound of a trumpet. And then it says... Uh, He shall descend from heaven with a what? A shout. 
and then that we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in there. So in, in the chapter and verse markings, there's some inspiration. Not only that, but in the way that the books of the Bible are laid out. Think about Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, and Psalms, right? So you have in Ezra and Nehemiah, what is, what is happening? You have a call for the Israel to go back to the nation of Israel, back to their land. So what happened in 1948? You have Israel going back to the land. What happens in the very beginning of Esther? In the very beginning of the book of Esther, you have a Gentile bride that gets put away, that gets put to the side, and then a Jewish bride that comes along. And then you have the book of Job, which is probably the greatest book on the tribulation, on the Jews in the tribulation as a picture. You have that. And then you go into Psalms, which is a lot of, there's plenty of doctrine in there, but a lot of it is all dealing with the millennium. You see, even a premillennial, pre-tribulation doctrine can be found in the way that the order of the books is laid out. Now, the reason I tell you that is because we're about to go into 1 Corinthians. What is the book of Romans all about? We're going through it on Wednesday nights. It has probably the clearest plan of salvation of any book in the Bible. Now, it can be found in plenty of other places, and I've, I've led people to the Lord using plenty of different verses, but do you know where I start? I start in the book of Romans, because it's an introduction to the gospel. And you see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, this is an introduction. The next book that comes along, if, you, if we follow Paul's doctrine, he starts you out with getting saved. That's where you start. If you're not saved here tonight, then... The rest of this message might not make very much sense to you. But if you're saved here tonight, you've already been through Romans, right? You've already called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've already been saved. But here we have in the next book, the book of 1 Corinthians, this is an introduction to the Christian life. If you look at at the Corinthian church, it looks like a baby Christian. Yeah. Very carnal. Very um, <clears throat> messed up on their, their doctrine. They have a lot of issues in the church, just like somebody who's been out in the world and they've gotten saved. And you know, I think it's interesting here in this introduction, if you look through the rest of Paul's epistles, there's growth that's shown. You, you see him come back to 2 Corinthians, and he show, they, they've shown growth. They were rebuked, and then they showed growth. And then as his epistles progress, there's growth. It shows the progression of the Christian life. That's good, bro. So here we have, if we're going to look at this passage tonight, I want to talk to you about, I want to preach to you about the fact that this is what the Christian life is about. Now, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but the name of the Lord Jesus Christ showed up nine times. We read nine verses, right? Either... Jesus Christ or Christ or the Lord Jesus Christ or Jesus Christ our Lord shows up in all but one of the verses, but in one of the verses it shows up two times. So you know what Paul is not preaching to this, to this group of people that just got saved. He's not saying, hey, all right, now you just got saved. That's great. You're not going to hell. Now here's a list of all the things that you need to get out of your life. Right. Here's a, thing, a list of things that you need to change. Here's a list of things that you're doing wrong. Now, he gets into that, but you know the very first thing that he talks to these people about? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not talking about uh, 
how they can be better in their life. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not talking about how they can make more money. That's a, that's a big thing right now. You go to just about any contemporary church. I mean, I can't tell you if, you, if you were to look on the Dave Ramsey website, I can't tell you how many times he's scheduled at a church. Not necessarily him, but he's got all these people in churches, right? And they take this thing and say, oh, well, you know, he's, it's based on biblical truths, and so we're going to teach it in our church. Well, that's pretty self-serving to the pastor. Because if, you're, if your congregation's making more money, then that would make sense that you make more rent money, right? Well, you would think so. But it's, it's messed up. Paul wasn't doing that. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians, you see him tell the Corinthians, he said, I robbed other churches and took wages of them and didn't take any money from you. Why? So I could preach to you freely. He didn't care about their money. He cared about telling them about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's right. Why? Because that's what the Christian life is about. So many times, uh, Christians today, and really it's, it's, a, it's just a show of how the, the, the pulpits are today. Do you know what the Christian life, the focus of the Christian life is about when it's preached about in other churches? It's about you. Yeah. Right. It's all about you. It's a very humanistic viewpoint. I'm not a humanist. I'm a Christian. Yeah. So the focus should be on Christ, right? Yeah. If we're Christians, that's what the focus should be on. So here in this, in this passage, uh, I see a few things. In his introduction to the Christian life, to they've, if you were to look at it from a, a timeline, they've just gone through Romans. It's just like talking to somebody who's just been saved. And like I said, there's plenty of people in here that have just recently been saved. But it's good for us to remember that even as we go along, right? Yeah. Because sometimes you get, you get caught up in, in life and you forget about the basics. Right. And so here Paul has just given them some basics. So let's look at this passage and see, now that we've seen Jesus Christ, his name woven throughout this passage, we know that he's supposed to be the center of the Christian life. Let's look at some of the things that Paul says about the Christian life that it's supposed to be focused on. I want you to look in verse 2 here. The first thing that I see is there's a calling. It says, unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Now this is the first thing that, they're, that they are called to do, is they're called to be saints. Now, I want to point something out to you here. It says, to them that are sanctified, right? And then it says, you're called to be saints. What, is it, what does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be set apart. <clears throat> That happens at salvation. It's something that happens whether you know it or not. Uh, Romans chapter 1. Keep your finger there just real quick. Romans chapter, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 1. I just want you to see this real quick. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 1, it says, Paul and Timotheus to the, or the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. You see, he's referring to saved people as saints. Why? Because at salvation, that's something that happened. You become a saint. This isn't a Roman Catholic doctrine. This is, I looked it up today because I was curious. I was like, 
If this is the first thing I want you to see about the fact that there's a calling here, it's a universal calling, because at the end of verse 2, it says, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. That's back in 1 Corinthians 1, 2. It's universal. It's not just to the people that are above and beyond. I looked up how many saints the Catholic Church says there are. It's over 10,000. Man, that's a lot. But if that's all the people that got saved out of the Catholic Church, that's not very many. No, because it says here it's universal. It's anybody that calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, on the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Let me ask you here tonight, have you been saved? Have you called upon the name of Jesus Christ? I have. And you're a saint. (laughs) That doesn't necessarily mean you act like one. But it is a calling in every Christian's life. Now, not only is it a universal calling, it's to every Christian. Uh, it's also unambiguous. Turn over, keep your hand there in 1 Corinthians. Turn over to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. Now, I used unambiguous, and I know it's kind of a big word. But I needed a U, so... I needed to alliterate it, all right? Uh, But what that means is it's very clear. Uh, We were driving through town the other day, and there's a church, I don't remember which one it was, but it says on their sign out front, it says, Navigating Ambiguity. And I was like, what? How do you guys even do that? You walk into any service and everything's ambiguous. You don't even have the same Bible. It's not clear. But the the calling to be a saint is very unambiguous. Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible says in verse, we'll just start in verse number 1. It says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you, as becometh what? Saints. So a saint looks like something. Now I've heard that, <laughs> I've heard that preached in plenty of places. That you, you should look a certain way if you're a saint. I don't see anywhere where it says anything about the way you should dress. It says, Fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. And then it continues. It says, Neither filthiness, f- filthiness, filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. as children of light, excuse me. Now, you might look at that and you'd be like, oh, well, there's a list of things that you shouldn't do. And yeah, I I can see that. But I want you to turn over to Mark. Still keeping your hand in 1 Corinthians. I'm trying to lay some groundwork here.
Mark chapter 7, did I not say that? Sorry. Mark chapter 7. And verse number 20. The Bible says, and he said, this is Jesus talking, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of where? Out of the heart of men. Proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. I'm pretty sure all of those were mentioned over there in Ephesians chapter 5, weren't they? So if we're to become, if we're going to look like somebody that becomes, that becometh a saint, it's not about the outside. It's about your heart. That's where it starts. You see, I think that there is a lack of preaching on the heart in the last days. Every, everything is about, let's make you better, let's make your life better, let's make you look better. But here Paul is introducing the Christian life and he said you, should be, you are called to be a saint. It is your calling. Everybody wants to know about the will of God. What's my calling in life? Your calling is to be a saint. So what does that mean? It means that your heart should be right with God. You see, we just saw all those things in, in Mark chapter 7, but Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, it says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You see, if you look at your life, if you look at the things that you say and the things that you think in your heart, and it's on that list... Maybe you should get right with the Lord. Maybe you're missing your calling a little bit. So not only are we called to be saints, but look down back in 1 Corinthians here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9. Not only is there a call to be a saint, but there's a call to fellowship. The Bible says, God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, your fellowship, I think it's interesting how your calling to be a saint is there linked with your calling to fellowship. Because if your heart isn't right with the Lord, your fellowship is not right. right. Pastor, I heard him before we even moved here, I heard him say something and I was like, that's it right there. I believe that for years. I preached this message when I was a teenager, and he says it all the time. He says, God will have fellowship with someone who has sin in their nature, but he won't have fellowship with someone who has sin in their heart. That's right. You know why? Because the Bible says in Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity where? In my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You see, your call to fellowship is directly related to your calling to be a saint. Because if your heart's messed up, if your heart's not right, the Lord doesn't want to have fellowship with you. Well, He does want to have fellowship with you. But you are the one that is preventing that. So there's a calling in the Christian life. There's a calling to be a saint, and there's a calling to fellowship. But not only is there a calling, there's a cultivation. Look back in verse number 5. Verse number 5, it says... That in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance 
and in all knowledge. You see, I think that's pretty cool because not only is there a calling to be a saint, but there's, an, there's a cultivation, there's an enrichment in your life. Now, of course, you know, modern preachers, they like to take that and say, you give to God and he'll enrich you. No, that's not what it doesn't say he'll enrich you in your money. It says he'll enrich you in all utterance and in all knowledge. Now, I look at that utterance as witnessing because it's referred to as witnessing, as telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you might be thinking, well, he's talking to new Christians, right? If this is a picture of a new Christian, I don't know how to lead somebody to Christ. That's a good point. Let's talk about some people in the Bible. How about the woman at the well? Jesus Christ presented to her the water of life. And she said, let me drink of that water. I'll take a drink of that. This is a person who had been married five times already, and the person that she was with wasn't her husband. And Jesus Christ gave her living water. What did she do? She went back into the town and told the men, come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. She didn't know a lot of Bible. <laughs> she probably didn't know any Bible. She knew a man. She knew the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he did in her life changed her. Think about uh, the blind man. Jesus Christ healed the blind man. And then the, they were in the, in the temple and they were like talking to his parents. And they were like, hey, uh, is this your son? And they're like, he's of age. Why don't you ask him? And they're like, look, dude, this guy's a sinner. I don't know if you know this or not, he is a sinner. And he said, he said what? Whether he is a sinner, I know not. But I know that once I was blind, and now I see. He didn't have a lot of knowledge, but he knew the Lord Jesus Christ. What about a man named Legion? A man named Legion. Man, I think about this guy. He's out in the tombs. He's living out there. He's cutting himself. He, they tried binding him with chains. He's got a lot of baggage on him. And Jesus Christ, I talked about him the last time I preached. Jesus Christ came across that sea. He had something to do over there. And he took that devil out of that man. Man, I can't even imagine. I, well, I can because <laughs> I've been saved. The amount of freedom that you feel, the amount of peace that you feel after having so much turmoil in your heart and in your mind, not knowing what to do, and just every day of his life had to be torture. And then Jesus came along. And you know what he wanted to do? He said, I want to go with you. Jesus was leaving. He said, I want to go with you. He said, nope, go back to your friends and tell them what I've done for you, what great things God hath done for you. You know what he did? He went and began to publish in all of Decapolis the things that Jesus had done. What about the man at the, the, the gate, the beautiful gate? Peter and John are going in, and he's asking for alms out there. He's lame, can't walk, can't do anything, can't work. And Peter and John come along, and they say, he's, he, he's thinking that they would give him some alms, some money. And Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. 
in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Do you know what he went? He did. He went away praising God and telling people about what had just happened to him. You might not have the knowledge. You might not be able to d- explain to something, someone everything that happened, all the doctrine that went in, the fact that you're sanctified, you're justified, you're, you're washed, you're clean. You might not be able to explain from the Bible everything that happened to you at salvation, but you can tell them what happened to you. Your testimony is probably one of the best things, in my opinion, that opens the door for witnessing. Because you can say, you know, there was, a, there was a time where I was blind. There was a time where I was shackled, there, where I was living in turmoil. There was a time where uh, I was living in sin. There was a time where I couldn't walk. I couldn't do anything for myself. And then Jesus Christ came along. So there's a cultivation and declaration None of these people knew the doctrine of what had happened to them. But they're a great picture of what Jesus Christ did for you. And that's the same thing. That's how Jesus Christ enriches you. He's enriched your life as a Christian to be able to tell other people, you know, as a preacher, I think it's great and encouraging to me because (laughs) the Lord's called me to preach. You know, the first time I ever preached uh, was in a five-minute preach-off. I think I preached for about three minutes. I couldn't tell you what I said. I couldn't tell you. Nobody else could probably tell you what I said. Uh, it, was, it was horrible. But you know, when I was a teenager, I surrendered to the call to preach. And there have been plenty of times where I'm like, Lord, um, you don't want me to preach. And I'm pretty sure everybody else doesn't want me to preach either. He said, I don't care, preach. You know what he's done in his call to preach? He's enriched me in all utterance. The fact that I can stand up here, and even though I might, on the inside, I've talked to you about this, I'm terrified of public speaking. On the inside, I might be, ah, you know. He's allowed me to put together a message that, Lord willing, will help some people. That's enriching. That's an encouragement to me. He's allowed me to witness to people that has... I've, I've been able to lead people to the Lord that is, it's changed, literally changed the course of their life. Not because of me, but because the Lord enriched me. Because the Lord did that work. He, he, there was a cultivation in declaration. But not only is there a cultivation in declaration, but there's also a cultivation in doctrine. Look at verse number five again. It says, in all utterance and in all knowledge. It didn't just stop at utterance. Now, I think that there's a, there's a problem nowadays with people that teach and preach that the only reason that we are here is to win souls for Jesus Christ. And I think that that's a very good thing to do. Paul says it's a good thing to do. We should be trying to witness to people. We should be trying to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. But if that's all you're here for... That's not it. Because then what happens if if somebody doesn't get grounded in their doctrine, what happens? You have babies trying to have babies. Baby Christians trying to have baby Christians, and then what happens? A whole bunch of bad stuff happens. Then you get blown about with every wind of doctrine. Um, 
Look at Colossians chapter 2 real quick. Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 7. It says, Rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. You see, what's going to happen is if you don't start getting grounded in your Bible, if you don't allow the Lord Jesus Christ to teach you some things, to give you some knowledge through the Bible, then you're going to go and witness to somebody. You're going to tell somebody because that's what we do. You're going to tell somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ and they're going to be like, yeah, but uh, did, you, did you see over there in Matthew where it says, he that endureth to the end shall be saved? We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Uh, did you see over there in the book of Hebrews where it says uh, that you can actually lose your salvation if you've, if you've believed and then you go back, then there's no more sacrifice for sins? Did you look at that? You see, what happens is if you don't get grounded in the Bible, you're going to be blown about. It says, it says, after traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world and philosophies and vain deceits. Those are things that can trip you up if you don't get grounded in doctrine. That's why it's important, in my opinion, I think it's great to be able to come back to church on Sunday night, to be able to come back to church on Wednesday night. Sunday night, we're going through what? Revelation? Wednesday night, we're going through Romans? Those are doctrinal, deep doctrinal books. That if you can get grounded in, somebody comes along and says, oh yeah, but did you see that over there? You know how to look at the Bible and say, yeah, but this is, this is what the Bible says. And if you look at who that's talking to over there, that's not talking to me. That's talking to the Jews in the tribulation, or that's talking to the Old Testament saints, or that's a millennial, tribu- or a millennial passage. That's right. That doesn't have to do with me. That's enriching. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ wants you to grow. He wants you to be grounded. He wants you to be built up. He wants you to put some roots down. That's what the Christian life is about. It's not, about, uh, it's not all about just leading people to the Lord. It's about growing in Him. But not just about growth. Go back to 1 Corinthians. Not only is there a calling and a cultivation, but there's also a confirmation. Look in verse number 6. It says, Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. You see, there's there's an internal confirmation. I see this as eternal security. Assurance of salvation. Do you know, if you get grounded in doctrine, the more that I learn about doctrine, the less times I, I doubt my salvation. It's been a long time since I doubted my salvation. When I was first saved, there was some times where I was like, oh, was I really saved? Did I, did I really mean it? But you know, the more I go and the more I read in my Bible and the more I'm enriched in all utterance and in all knowledge, the more the Lord Jesus Christ confirms in me what was done when I was 16 years old. It's internal. The more you get grounded in doctrine, the more assurance you get. Not only is it internal, it's done in you, but it's external. Look at uh, 
verse number 8. It says, who shall confirm you unto the end? You see, it's not done by myself. This confirmation, this assurance of salvation, it's not done by me. It's external. It's done by the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, I have absolutely nothing that I can do to stay saved. If you look at salvation, there was absolutely nothing I could do to get saved. The Bible says in Galatians that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Why? Because nobody could keep it up until that point except for one person. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So when I look at the confirmation, man, if I look at my life and I'm like, well, I lost it there and I lost it there and I've lost it three times today, at least, that I know about. (laughs) It's done by him. He's the one that confirms you to the end. But not only is it internal, not only is it external, it's done in you and it's done by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that abides faithful. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, it says, But if we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. He's the one that does the the confirmation. This isn't like a class that you take in the Catholic Church. This isn't a discipleship thing like, oh, if you do all these things, then you're confirmed. No. He does it. But not only is it external, it's also eternal. It says, who shall also confirm you unto the end. You see, according to Pauline doctrine, you don't have to endure to the end to be saved. Right. Now, somebody that wants to trip you up, they're going to say, all right, let's go over to here to Matthew chapter 25. I want you to look down at verse 13. What does that say? It says, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved, right? Well, have you endured? <laughs> I just told you I haven't endured to the end. Even today, I know I've messed up enough to where I've sinned today. I'd be done. But it's not about me. It's eternal. It's done by the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's eternal. It says it's until the day of Jesus Christ. Excuse me, unto the end. Uh, Romans chapter 5 and verse 9, it says, much more than being justified through his blood. Have you been justified through his blood? The Bible says we shall be saved from wrath through him. That's not something you have to worry about. That, that's a confirmation. That should be an encouragement to you as a Christian, even as a young Christian, as an old Christian, the fact that I'm, I'm going to mess up. But the Lord Jesus Christ is the one that's keeping me. He's the one that's doing the confirmation. <clears throat> now, when I uh, get the opportunity to lead someone to Christ, you know what I try and talk to them first about? Eternal security. Because that's one of those things that the devil will try and get in there and he'll say, "Ah, you know, you just messed up there. You messed up there. Oh, you shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have thought that. And he's going to try and get you messed up. He's going to try and get you out out of the Christian life. He wants everybody that is not saved to not be saved, right? They're his children. He doesn't want... Anybody, any of his children going to, the, to become children of light. 
He doesn't want that happening. But the fact of the matter is, is that it happens. Why? Because the gospel is powerful. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. So if someone gets saved, he's going to try and get them messed up in any way he can. And assurance of salvation, man, that is one of those things that people will get doubting themselves and then they're like, well, what's the use? What is the use? Why, why even try? If I'm going to mess up anyway, why even try? But it's not you. <laughs> it's not you that does the saving. It's not you that does the keeping. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, that's the theme of this whole thing. It's woven throughout the whole passage. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the last thing I want you to see here before we finish up, there's a coming of Christ. And this, is, this gets me excited. <laughs> and also terrified. Uh, because the fact of the matter is, it's imminent. Jesus Christ could return at any minute. Here in verse number 6, excuse me, verse number 7, it says, So that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This was written in the first century. I don't know exactly when. I don't have dates in my Bible. <laughs> But it was written back in the first century, and he said what? We're waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Back then, 2,000 years ago, they were waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's imminent. It could happen at any time. I woke up, oh, this was a couple weeks ago now. You ever wake up in the middle of the night and just feel weird? Just like weird. And I was like, what is happening? Now I was like, is it, is it happening, Lord? Are we, are we going? Are, is it time? Let's go, brother. And I was like, oh. And then I started thinking about it. I was like, Lord, uh, before we go, i got to get this right. And also this. And uh, I'm sorry about that, too. <laughs> yeah. Because it, could, it literally could happen any time. It, and it says that, uh, that we... Oh, I forget. I'm going to mess that all up. I'm not even going to go there because I'll mess it up. But it's going to be like that. I mean, boom. It's going to happen. That is what we should be looking for. The Bible says in Titus chapter 2 and verse 13, it says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, it's imminent. But not only is it imminent, but it's prominent. Verse number 8, it says, Who shall confirm you unto the end that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? Brother Peacock says it all the time. He says, do everything in light of the judgment seat of Christ. Now, that's hard to do. <laughs> but I'll tell you this. If you, if you think about doing something and you're like, man, I wonder if I should do that. And then you think, well, if the Lord was to come back five minutes from now and I just did that, would I still do that thing I'm about to do? Right. I, think, I think Christians would be a little more... Uh, Saintly? <laughs> you might be following that call to be a saint a little bit more. If you're thinking about the prominence, the eminence of the Lord Jesus Christ coming back, it could happen at any moment. But it should be prominent. It should be forefront in your mind. You see, the enemy will try and get, do anything that he can to distract you from thinking about and living for the return of Christ. Why? Because if you think about the return of Christ, what comes after for Christians, after the Lord comes back and gets His bride, what do we go to? We go to the judgment seat of Christ, right? Yes, sir. 
which is where we're supposed to get, we're, we're judged according to the things done in our body. He actually talks about it two chapters later in 1 Corinthians 3. <clears throat> the things done in our body, it's not for salvation. If you're at that judgment, you're not being judged on whether or not you're going to heaven or hell. You're being judged on the things you did in your body after salvation. Yes, sir. You know what he wants? He wants as many Christians as he can to be ashamed at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants as many people as he can get to look back on their life and be like, man, I should have done this. But you know what? Here we have the Lord Jesus Christ again. It says that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, who, you know how I'm going to be blameless? Because my faith and trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I live my life centered around the Lord Jesus Christ, then there might be a chance that I'll get some rewards at that judgment. There might be a chance that I'll get some gold, silver, and some precious stones as opposed to wood, hay, and stubble that's going to burn up. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming back, and I hope, I hope it's this spring. <laughs> There's only, what, 17 days till spring? Could be, could be this year. That's exciting. All right, now, just to wrap this up, I, wanna, I want you to think about this verse. Now, if we're thinking about the Christian life, if Paul's introducing the Christian life, he's introducing what the Christian life should look like. He's given a calling, a call to sainthood, a call to be a saint, a call to fellowship. He's given um, <clears throat> a cultivation, some enrichment in your life. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. He's confirmed some things in your life and the fact that he's coming back. If we think about those things, man, I think about that and I look at my life and I'm like, I just, I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing the things that I should. Every single day is a, it's literally a failure. And I, sometimes that's discouraging. But let me encourage you. John chapter 3 and verse 30, it says, he must increase, but I must decrease. Now, I've heard plenty of preachers preach this message, preach this verse, and they say, he must increase, but I must decrease. And you know what they focus on? They focus on the last part of that verse. It says, but I must decrease. So if I decrease all these things and get all these things out of my life, then I'll have more room for the Lord Jesus Christ to get in there, right? That, that's how it's preached a lot of times. At least I've heard it preached that way plenty of times. Uh, but I, I stole an illustration uh, from Brother Evans and uh, if, if you've heard him preach, he preaches a lot on trees because he does, he does a lot of tree work. I know because I've done some with him. <laughs> he was my youth pastor growing up, and they, it was like, hey, we're going to do a youth outing. Let's go cut some trees down so I can make some. I'm just kidding. No, we, I, I've, I've definitely helped him. Uh, but he, he gave this illustration on the oak tree. And actually, there's plenty of them around here. If you're driving down the road, you can still see a lot of the oak trees. And I'm going to tell you how you can know that they're oak trees. Because they've still got a lot of dead leaves on them. It's almost springtime and they still haven't lost all of their leaves. Now, when you think about this, this oak tree, it'll go all the way through winter. And it's still got that crusty old dead stuff from the past on it, right? But 
it's about to start raining here pretty soon. And what does that oak tree do? It starts taking up some of that water. And that the rain goes down into the ground and it hits that root system and that tree just pulls it up, sucks it up. And then what happens to that tree? It grows. It puts new growth on it, you know. And then what does that new growth do? It pushes all that old stuff off. So you can have, I think, it's, I think it's cool too that it's an oak tree because it's one of the strongest trees. If you do it this way, as opposed to saying, man, i got to get all this nasty stuff off of me and get clean so that the Lord can have fellowship with me. Instead, why don't you just take of the living water, like that woman at the well? Why don't you just get in this book and get washed with the water of the Word? And spend some time pulling in that water and pulling in that water and pulling in that water. And you know what's going to happen? Automatically, you're going to grow. It's inevitable. If you spend time in this book, if you spend time in prayer, if you spend time in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, it happens. I've got twin boys back there. They're four. That's nuts. It's crazy. They're, they're growing like weeds. I can't stop it. You know why? Because I keep feeding them. <laughs> you keep feeding them, they're going to keep growing. It's the same thing with the Christian, Christian life. If you keep feeding yourself this book, if you keep spending time with the Lord Jesus Christ, it's going to happen. You can't stop it. You're going to grow, and you know what's going to happen? All that stuff, that old, crusty, nasty stuff on the outside, it'll get taken care of. It'll get taken care of in the time that the Lord wants it to get taken care of. Too many times in the Christian life, our philosophy is backwards. We look at ourselves and we think, oh, i got to get rid of this, and the preacher preached on this. Man, i, I got to go down to the altar and get that right with the Lord. I need to get this right. I need to get this out of my life. Let me encourage you tonight. Why don't you just spend some more time with the Lord? Just take some more water in. Take some more food in. Take some more water in. Take some more food in. The Bible says line upon line, precept upon precept, right? Yes, sir. <laughs> and then let the Lord do the growing. Yes, <laughs> I, can't, I can't take, the Bible says you can't take thought to add one cubit to your stature, right? Mm-hmm. Well, let's apply that to the spiritual life. I can't grow myself spiritually. That's good, bro. Right? Because if we look at this passage here in 1 Corinthians that we just went through, what shows up in each one of those verses? The Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because that's what the Christian life is about. It's not about me. It's not about what I can do for Him. It's about what He's already done and wants to do in my life. I just have to allow Him to do it. So let me encourage you tonight. It, it's, <laughs> there's plenty of times where I get discouraged and think, man, I just, I'm not doing good enough. I'm not doing what I should be. Keep doing what you are. Spend some time in the book. Spend some time with the Lord. And if you spent five minutes a day this week, spend six minutes next week. It doesn't have to be fast. Something that grows too fast is a, is, it's, it's a cancer. So just let the Lord do what the Lord wants to do in your life and get close to Him. That's an introduction to the Christian life. That's what Paul says it's all about. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ.